Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Hannah and I am voice noting this intro because I know we recorded one. I know we did, but it is a month later and can I find it? No, I cannot. Can I be bothered to search across two different laptops that we had to use for this recording after we lost multiple files? No, I am not. So you just get me. For the final ever episode of season six. I've forgotten everything about this intro. This is a drunken Harry Potter podcast. We're reminiscing on our favourite childhood book, but this time without alcohol and cynicism. And in today's episode, we are listening to your howlers. This is our listener phone-in episode, and we are listening to everything you had to say about season six of this podcast, your thoughts on the Half-Blood Prince, your theories, things you wanted to ask us. So grab a glass of your favourite alcoholic beverage and join us on this drunken reminiscent journey. Hi! Hi! Welcome back to the final episode of season six. How are you? Same as I was in the episode we may or may not have recorded, but now more stressed. Great. Also very warm. You did put a jumper on. Yeah, but it's that or you'll see my nipples. Well, they'll see my nipples. So They probably would like that. They would, but I'm not putting that out there for free. Fair enough. Welcome to the second ever, third ever, Howler episode. I've kind of forgotten how we do these. We forgot that this was a thing at all. Oh yeah, I was like, yeah, we got one episode left. Nope. And then, nope. There's a Howler episode, and here it is. A Howler episode is essentially our word for a listener phone-in episode. So you get to share your thoughts with us. We've been asking Yay. for your thoughts. They're here. We're going to listen. We're going to react. We're going to listen to all your beautiful voices, and I'm really excited. Yay! First, we've got the normal top of episode stuff. Do you want to do alcohol uh, or Patreons? Patreons. Patreons. So, a danish size thank you to Dan Schiella. A maximum size thank you to Max. A tigger size thank you to Tyler. An enormous thank you to Erica. A arduous size thank you to Ardent, who is a new producer level Patreon. A lampoon size thank you to Lily. A Leamington Spa size thank you to Lucy. A sophisticated thank you to Sophie. A aromatic size thank you to Andra. An anatomic size thank you to Ashling, a producer level patron. And a kale size thank you to Kaylee, who has upgraded their pledge. What are we drinking today? I, I actually don't know. We are drinking two different types of foreign red wine. <laughs> oh. Yep. Right. So this, I believe, is from Valentina. Now, I have a bit of confession with this that I hope doesn't need to be a confession. As I mentioned in the last episode, which hopefully have saved and you've heard it, we got given a lot of stuff within a one month period with a lot of separate notes, emails and DMs that I then attempted to piece together. And this is the one where I was like, well, these two have to go together because it's my last remaining bottle of alcohol and my last note. 
the bottle has nothing on that I can read and it's in Cyrillic so I can't I tried to Google lens it so I was like these two have to go together what I'm now starting to doubt is that this is Terranino a liquor made from Turan a red wine it's not it's I thought clear. this would come it's out red it's in blue glasses but the liquid's the clear the liquid is clear thing is it smells really strongly of red wine so I feel like this is correct it was the last bottle and the last note, so... The thing is, it doesn't say it's red wine. It says it's a liquor made from red wine. It does say that. Maybe there's some kind of distilling that gets rid of the colour, but sniff it. It smells like red wine. Actually, you're right. It does. It really does. So I think it's correct. But apologies I'm if it so isn't. I'm so sorry. Let us know the answer to the mystery. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, it's not too bad. Oh one of those weird ones where the first sip is the worst and then it gets better no nope, it got worse again it's like burning my tongue is it burning your tongue no it's burning here well that's disgusting cheers i don't even know what country it's from the aftertaste is quite nice but the initial and middle taste is horrid black sea gold do you remember we used to drink nice things? Do you remember that time? Is your tongue burning? No. Are you allergic to it? I don't, I'm genuinely wondering that. Horrid, thank you. I'm going to go in alphabetical order because that's how they're organised in the file. So we are starting off with Dana. Hello, everybody. Um, first of all, girls, I love your podcast. I love um, listening to it. I'm having very much fun with every episode. Oh and yeah i wanted to talk about episode 107 end of january i actually uh, maybe you recall i spammed you with uh, this topic already and you, i don't know who of you two um answered me but you told me i should send an audio to the whole howler episode oh, um, wow. because the topic is pretty interesting um and it's about slakhan acting as if he doesn't know about Horcruxes when Harry was asking him and the motivation which could be behind that. Um, because Charlie, of course, was um, was t talking about that Slughorn obviously didn't knew what would happen, uh, that Tom would turn that evil um, and that it would, wouldn't be wise to not talk about Horcruxes with him. And of course, I think we all would agree that theoretically admitting to the mistake would be the wisest thing to do, of course. But then, uh, as Hannah said, and it's actually a pretty psychologist topic, and I'm, I'm a psychologist, so oh, it's pretty interesting oh, cool. for me, and I hope you all can follow what I'm trying to explain. Um, basically, it's much about the concept of cognitive dissonance which um, mental conflict that occurs words. when your beliefs don't line up with your actions. And um, the thing is, Slughorn was trying to reassure himself that nothing is happening, that he didn't do a grave mistake when Voldemort rose to power, because if he would have admitted that he made a mistake, that would have been very, very self-esteem harming. And normally, normally we humans try to protect our self-esteem, sometimes at any cost, sometimes it's not wise as it is shown in this case. 
So we are trying to reduce cognitive dissonance by interpreting the informations we are getting in our, around us, like in this case, the rise of uh, the power of Waldi, um, by fitting the belief, it's not my fault best. So we're trying to interpret, yeah. uh, or bet, better said, Slughorn is trying to interpret uh, the information he's getting around him um, so it's not self-esteem harming. There must be another explanation. It's surely not my fault, blah, 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 blah. And when he realized it, that he did contribute to Waldi's rise by telling him informations, it's kind of too that. late. He fucked up in telling him and tried to ignore the topic even more so he's not crushed by guilt and shame. Also, he's going basically in denial um, and we're generally trying to avoid having too much negative emotions. And sometimes we're trying to avoid ne negative emotions even, even though it causes more problems in the long run. There are many, many examples for that in our um, daily life. And I think that's what Slacon is doing in the, in the end. Mm. So like you said, both said, he's a morally great character and he's definitely worrying much about his reputation. His values are more status and pride, more than telling the truth and helping, helping them succeed the good side. And the values of status and pride are, of course, fitting for a Slytherin. Not that every Slytherin would act like this, of course. But <laughs> yeah, yeah he's a pretty interesting and pretty complex character, especially mm. from a psychologist view. Anyway, love the podcast. And yeah, greetings from Thank Germany. You. <laughs> I hope you understood Hi. Uh, Hi. what I was trying to explain. And yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, your English is amazing. God, it's great. Ah, I was about to say, she said hello from Germany. I was going to be like, bonjour, like, no, guten tag. Guten tag. Guten tag. Um, yeah, it's it's really nice to hear from someone actually qualified to think that that's feasible. Yeah. Like, psychologically, because it's always kind of grated on me, but hearing, and like the point about cognitive dissonance mm. as well is really good yeah it's I think that it's not just that Slughorn is a morally grey character he's a much more grown up character like a more adult adult written character because I think cognitive dissonance isn't just something that morally grey characters experience or in cognitive dissonance is something that we all experience at some point or another at some point your inner beliefs are not going to match up with your actions for whatever reason uh, and unless humans, you're me because I'm perfect unless you're you because you're perfect and as humans we try to bury that because we always want to believe the the best in ourselves essentially so then why does my brain constantly be like you're the worst i hate you you're awful Blah. see you say you're the worst i hate you but out loud you always say i'm perfect i've never done a thing wrong cognitive yes. dissonance <laughs> thank you dana that was great next we have a written one from danielle so danielle says i just listened to the lightning struck tower episode and you guys were wondering why Dumbledore flew in the air when Snape cast Avada Kedavra. Oh my god, my laptop is like, could you Kedoovel. fucking update this? Fucking update that. I do love the idea of Dumbledore just yeeting himself over the edge of the drama. <laughs> but my headcanon is that because Snape was so conflicted, when Harry tried to crucio Bellatrix in Order of the Phoenix, it knocked her off her feet but didn't work because you have to mean it. Whatever she said. 
In the same vein, Snape had enough power behind it for the spell to work. But I think because his heart wasn't fully in it, it wasn't the ideal casting where the person just drops dead. I was very into the HP forums between book six and seven, and the fact that Dumbledore flew into the air was like the crux of my Snape was a good guy argument. Except I know now that being a sad incel that couldn't get over a girl isn't really good guy <laughs> material, but you get the point. I was a little annoyed that JKR never addressed it in book seven, after all this time of making such a big deal about the, how the killing curse usually works. Anyway, love the show, and I'm so excited to finally to be finally almost caught up enough to write in. You guys have really helped me process my feelings around the series and JKR and all the shittiness there. Can't wait to see what you do after you finish book seven. Aww. That's so nice, Danielle. That's really... Thank you. I also I fucking love that theory. I adore That's that theory. That's fab. I never would have crossed my mind. But you're right, because even Moody says in book four, you could all get your ones out now and try Avada Kedavra, and the worst I'd get is a nosebleed, which implies that without yeah. the right casting intent, it can still have an effect. Which leads to the fascinating possibility that Snape didn't actually kill him with Avada Kedavra, that he was just launched out the window and um, it was the drop that killed and him. And it was the impact that killed him. Wow. I really, really, really like that theory. Yeah, that's great. Oh. This is why we do this episode. Yeah. Jesus You Christ. guys should be running the podcast. I like how I'm like, I've got nothing else to say. Perfect yeah. theory. Thank you. 10 out of 10. Thank 10 you. 10 out of 10. Dorka is next. Woo! Hi, Dorka. Hi, Dorka. Hi, Charlie and Hannah. It's Dorka here. Thank you so much for the podcast and your deep dive into my favorite book of the series. I have a question to you. And my question is that if you would have one plot line in Half-Blood Prince that you would like to change, maybe erase it completely, that wouldn't be a big plot line so therefore it wouldn't change book seven and anything beyond this book what would that what would that be i know you talked a lot about um for example the potion that Merope uses um and that's sort of its presentation as a as a, as a rape drug as as a kind of a really heavy-handed metaphor that rolling didn't um do well so maybe uh, that's something that you would like to change. Um, but basically, that's my question. Uh, if there's anything that you would like to change or would have liked to present it differently in this book, what would that be? Thank you so much for the podcast. Um, love you guys. Oh, thank thank you. you. I think the first thing that came to mind for me was a lot of like the lavender plot mm. because there's so much misogyny in it. Yeah so much and it definitely could be taken out of the plot and nothing of consequence would really change and i think you could even leave lavender in but remove yeah the surrounding yeah misogyny because i i don't dislike lavender being in there i actually think it's better that each the trio have some sort of relationship before they get with their final partners but yeah, the misogyny... T- the, the problem with this question is, because I've just watched the film... Oh, yeah. I can't... You sh- like, uh, Dorka just mentioned Marope, and I'm like, fuck, yeah, Marope's in this book. Like, yeah. I've completely forgotten stuff like that. I think, for me, definitely Lavender, I think. Is the monster a plot point? Can I remove the monster? Yes. I'm removing the monster. <laughs> I think I am mildly allergic to something in this. Like, you know when you eat pineapple and your mm. tongue kind of... It's like an extreme version of that. Oh no. It's very weird. Well when we're halfway through, you can have 
<laughs> Until drink. then, keep poisoning yourself. Keep poisoning yourself. <laughs> I um, will. I don't know whether I would remove the monster, the rope stuff. <laughs> I probably wouldn't remove it. I'd want it handled better. Yeah. I'm not actually angry at its presentation in there because I don't believe that bad things shouldn't be in books because they should. How else do we discuss things? It's more the conversation around them and the presentation yeah. of them that, Absolutely. I would, that I would alter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm removing the monster. This next one is from Eleanor. I just want to say I love the podcast. Um, also, I was one of the things I wanted to ask about is like, I get Snape being a double agent and all that, but I just don't quite understand why he had to kill Dumbledore to prove his loyalty to the Death Eaters. Because once he killed Dumbledore and Harry saw it, none of the rest of the Order of the Phoenix trusted him anyway, so they wouldn't have trusted any information he got. So I don't, I just, I mean, obviously he knows about Harry having to die and all that sort of stuff, but I just feel like it wasn't that useful, him having to prove his loyalty. I think for me it was always more about saving Draco's innocence and the fact that it would solidify him in Voldemort's mind yeah I think that it was like a benefit I think at some point Dumbledore and Snape were aware a, a double or triple agent can't last forever at one point you have to fully pretend to go to one side or the other because once a certain threshold of war is crossed, you can't keep going back and forth. Yeah. So A, that was going to happen at some point. It may as well be in his control. And and B, Dumbledore didn't want Draco to do that act. And C, Dumbledore was going to die anyway. Yeah. So it's again about regaining control. It was just all three of those circumstances coming together in a package that meant that Snape would never not trust Dumbledore. I think where the... That Snape would never not trust Dumbledore. What did I say? Voldemort. That's what you said. Does that count as a shot? What did I mean to say? I don't know. <laughs> I think it counts as a shot. I think it probably does. I'll do it. When Off I'm... your pop. Can I do it when I next get up? Yeah, fine. Please, I'm surrounded by wires. I've got so <laughs> much around me. Um, I'll do it when I next get up, I promise. What I do think is ill thought through is that Dumbledore was relying on Snape to give Harry that last piece of information that Mm. he was the Horcrux that was never made but once Snape had fully gone over to the dark side how was he meant to safely give Harry that bit of information like that's a bit of a risk that he would find Harry and give that bit of information which is so fucking unbelievable in book seven that he comes across him as he lays dying. But don't worry, it's not the killing curse, so he dies instantly. He's bleeding out from a snake bite, so he's got time to give over the memories. Like, there's so much that could go wrong with that bit of the yeah. plan. That's a really bad plan. <laughs> no, that's it's convenient. Yeah. The next voice note is from Gemma. Sorry, Howler. Hi, everyone. Love this podcast. My comment really isn't about book six. But it is something that I've been thinking about more and more since watching all of Ted Lasso in about 24 oh, hours. Love um, it. Massive spoiler alerts for anyone who hasn't seen Ted Lasso. But there's oh, a no. character called uh, Nate. And he reminds me very strongly of Peter Pettigrew. They have a very similar arc. I.e. they're kind of the weaker members of their societal group. They're initially picked on and then they fall in with 
the person that's got the it factor in <laughs> Peter Pettigrew's case that would be like James and Sirius and he becomes very rapidly obsessed with this person probably the same way Peter Pettigrew would have been rapidly obsessed with James and Sirius we saw in Snape's flashback memory that Pettigrew literally hangs on James every word claps for him every time he makes a catch with the snitch he's a real sycophant and that's kind of how Nate acts with the main character Ted Lasso but then when constant praise validation and attention isn't given the character Nate very quickly sours and ends up eventually betraying Ted Lasso not quite to the same extent as Peter Pettigrew does to James and Lily, but I wonder whether those motivations will be the same thing that drives Peter Pettigrew, that wanting respect, knowing that they are actually a very intelligent person and never getting the appreciation and credit they deserve, and the one person who validates them, um, withdrawing their compliments, not for any meanness or any reason other than just they've got other I stuff I can hear my on. headphones so loudly still. And in Ted Lasso, Nate is given a redemption arc. He's given, an available, um, he's given a chance to see what his life is like on the dark side. He's got all these material possessions, but eventually he comes back round. Unfortunately, it does happen because, or it happens alongside him, getting into a relationship with a woman who saves his soul... But it does make me think a little bit about Peter Pettigrew. I just think that the two similarities are really cool and it's given me a whole new perspective on Peter's character. And I just wondered whether anyone else had either seen Ted Lasso and made that connection or thought about things in that way. Anyway, really love the podcast. Um, Really disappointed with J.K. Rowling. Really hope at one point in her life she realises the error of her ways because at the moment, a bit like yourselves, all of her work seems a bit tainted to me. Yeah. Keep up the good work, guys. Bye. Aww. Bye. I heard that very last bit. <laughs> but did you hear anything? No, nothing else. No. Okay. I could I could hear when the point had finished by your face changing and then I uncovered my ears, I could hear. I'm yeah. really disappointed in JK Rowling. I was like, yeah, yeah. you are. <laughs> okay, well good that you didn't spoil Ted Lasso for Hannah. So that I was have quite... to now cover my ears for you to make your reply. I will work around it. Fucking fantastic comparison that I never in a million years would have connected those two. Oh my god, I'm so fucking intrigued right now. And has actually shed a whole new light. I've only watched Ted Lasso through once I actually need to watch it again, but I feel like this has shed a new light on the the character you were mentioning from Ted Lasso for me, because I didn't get it when I watched it. I was like, the fuck is his problem? He's such a dickhead. And actually you putting it that way has made me like, oh so love that and yeah i love that comparison i love this because i think that it gives me more context on like peter's potential motivations because for me it's always like a little bit weak that it's like why does he betray them and you know is it just for power or personal protection or something but i kind of really like this idea that you brought up about him essentially like not receiving the attention that he has and forming resentment out of it because I think that that's like a very like human thing that does happen I don't have a huge amount more to add and especially try not to spoil it for Hannah but yeah I really love that that's made me think about both characters very differently god I'm intrigued the next howler is from Heather hi 
So I'm not exactly sure why this occurred to me during book six and not book five when Neville got injured in the Department of Mysteries, even though at the time I think you did touch on this topic. But do you think if a student has a speech or articulation disorder that it would affect casting spells at all? I don't know, honestly. And of course, we know the intent behind your spells is so important, particularly with nonverbal spells. But does it matter at all with verbal spells? I'm a speech-language therapist in schools, and I wondered what if a student can't pronounce the initial R sound in ridiculous, or if the student had a frontal lisp and couldn't pronounce a clear S sound in, say, expelliarmus, would it even matter? Do different accents impact anything? I'm guessing not, so maybe a speech impairment wouldn't either, but if you thought it might matter in any way, then... Aside from Hogwarts desperately needing a counselor or therapist, they would need at least a part-time speech therapist. And I could be persuaded to volunteer for this position. (laughs) Uh, Just wanted to say I adore your podcast. The first time I read any Harry Potter books was during the pandemic. And I was reading them to my daughter. She was nine at the time. She started to look for a podcast to listen to along with the books. And she was randomly trying different ones in the car with me one day. She turned on yours and like seven seconds in, I went, nope, that's not for you. (laughs) But it was perfect and really fun for me. So thank you. Oh my God. I hope one day she does listen. That is absolutely brilliant. Well done you. This is me with my cousin's kids. They're... I think like 11 and nine and they're constantly like can we listen yet I'm like like, no "No." (laughs) great parenting that's absolutely yeah I love love that oh my gosh I love that it took you no time at all you're like seven seconds these two are trash and my nine-year-old isn't listening to them oh that's amazing that you only read it in the pandemic as well yeah wow wow uh, I'm now so stunned by the end of the voice note. I forgot the question. I can't oh, remember the it's question. About, it's about speech impediments. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. My I... instinct is if accents don't affect it, then neither do speech impediments. But it does raise the very interesting question. The reason why I don't think it affects it actually isn't because of accents. It's because non-verbal, non-verbal spells exist. And the majority of spells can be done non-verbally, which means that it's all about the intent behind the word, not the pronunciation of the word itself. And what also feeds into that is we, I believe, know, or we at least theorise, that other magic systems in other countries and continents use different language systems, because obviously Harry... Uh, Hogwarts uses Latin-based words, but obviously if you were to go to um, whatever made-up J.K. Rowling nonsense she said for the school that covers all of East Asia, they're not going to use Latin root words, but they can produce the same spells. So I think it's more about the intent, and I think the best theory I can come up with that is because because of non-verbal spells. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think I have anything to add to that. I completely agree. I'd actually, if anyone knows any fantasy series that actually deal with this, Mm. I'd love to read them because that's not representation that I've seen in fantasy. And as someone that grew up having to have speech therapy because I had a speech impediment, impairment, whatever, I'm not sure on the correct term. Like, I would definitely love to see that representation. And I think that's a really interesting concept when fantasy typically is so magic and word linked. Yeah, and I think I could theorise that why Neville's didn't work in book five is because 
it's more about probably how you how you as a person normally say it i think that's probably where the theory of you and the wand being connected come in so if the wand is used to neville pronouncing it in a certain way and suddenly he's going stupefy it's not that it can't be done because he can't say the peas when his nose is broken it's that the wand and his magic system isn't used to that mm. but it does raise a very interesting point and yeah i would love to read something where i grew uh, my my mum is a speech and language therapist. So I grew up with a, a speech language therapist mum, so it's something we're both very interested in. So if anyone knows of any books that yeah. that focus on that, then we would be all over that. That's Definitely. fabulous. Thank you, Heather. The next howler comes from Isabella. Hi, Charlie and Hannah. I have a question that I I feel like isn't expanded on enough. In the scene when harry goes back to the golden tree after seeing tonks outside the room of requirement and says oh i think tonks is in love with sirius why didn't hermione say no they're cousins because <laughs> i'm aware that they are like the family tree of the blacks is basically just a bush <laughs> sirius is not into marrying his cousins and neither is tonks because she's grown up in this what can only be described as kind of like a leftist ideal where she's not yeah. into the whole blood purity thing and marrying your cousins <laughs> why didn't hermione point out Radical. the idiocy of that idea by just simply saying no harry they're cousins i can't understand why hermione granger the most logical of the three of them wouldn't have pointed that out i don't know what are your thoughts on this because it's been bugging me for years um love the podcast so much lots of love from australia Oh, I was wondering if you were Australian. It was quite a uh, toned down Australian. Maybe I'm just used to like, oi, I mate. Yeah, Cleo. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I like to think that while she didn't verbally point it out, she did give Harry a bitch, please cut like a look and just because harry is inobservant as fuck he just yeah. did acknowledge it in the narration but what? she definitely gave him a look like no it's isn't it hermione that theorizes that they oh no it is harry it is harry that whole thing makes no sense it's like jk just <laughs> forgot that they're related for a okay, minute but the thing is i'm really confused because until we read this book like did the reread I was absolutely convinced that Hermione did point this out. I had one of those Mandela effect things where I was like, no, yeah, Hermione definitely points that out. And then we got to that point and I was like, what? Shit. What did I... Like, I don't know whether... I don't know. I genuinely thought she did. And I had misremembered that. So she should have done. She's the logical one. She is. But also, no one could have seen the real reason coming, however logical you were, because it's fucking nonsense. So... Yep. The next uh, howler we have is from Jasmine, who wrote in, so I'm going to be reading it. Hi, Charlie and Hannah. My question is obviously Taylor Swift related. This question does not relate to book six in any way. I read it before, but thank you, Jasmine. Love it. <laughs> well, Taylor Swift era, do you think the golden trio are... <laughs> And what eras are the Silver Trio, Ginny, Neville and Luna? And the remaining eras, what character fits them? Bonus question, if you have time. What Taylor Swift songs do you think fit the Golden Trio? I would love to know. Can we have thinking time? And I'm going to write mine down. Okay. okay, I'm done. Okay. Are we are we taking it in turns per era? 
Character? Character, I think. Okay. Our camera cut out, so we're about to jump into trying a new alcohol and me doing a shot because I had to get up to reset the camera and then we'll come back to this question. Neither of us explained that to the camera. So, yeah, we're trying an alcohol and then we'll get back to this question. Uh, so, this smells rancid. Hannah's doing her punishment shot. She asked me if she could do tequila rose and I was like, no, because that's not a punishment. Nice. This smells absolutely vile. Okay, so next up on the alcohol train, we have this from Michael. This is, oh, this. Michael went to a Herculean effort to get us this. Michael tried to send us this and it oh, smashed this? in the post or something like it got he got like a return to sender but it never even got returned to him so presumably it smashed and he sent another one and bless him i also gave him neil's office address as the only like neutral safe address i had at that point we're sorting something more permanent than that um and neil <laughs> the post it got delivered at a weekend so neil just got handed a bottle on like a monday morning and neil was like this makes sense, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so this is from Michael and it's pomegranate wine. It says store sideways. I haven't been doing that. She, oh, she's off. Weird. What? Nowhere near as bad as it smells. Oh, you're right. It does smell a lot. I like it. It's, it tastes thick and heavy you taste thick and heavy i don't hate that no i, I hate I, the smell i look i quite like it as i was saying harry has somewhat childish teenagery emotions yes and i feel like fearless taylor has childish teenage emotions. she feels everything very strongly and so does harry um and also the song change is very harry coded yeah um and Harry's still just like a young country boy trying to find his place. Yeah. And that's why Harry is fearless. I think Harry is midnights because you're on your own kid uh, and anti-hero and karma. And I just also feel like midnights just suits Harry. Sure. Yeah. Aesthetically. <laughs> yeah. He's a nighttime guy. Shall I go first for Ron? Yes. Red because he's ginger. Speak now. Nice. Because Ron is a dramatic baby. Yes. And can never keep his emotions in check. And Taylor certainly couldn't keep her emotions in check during Speak Now. Hermione? Reputation. Same. Yay! Reputation is so Hermione coded. Yeah. But I really went between Lover and Midnight's as well for her. I never thought about love of a heart. I did consider midnights. Yeah. Yeah. But no, reputation is so Hermione coded because it's all about like getting revenge and being cool. But underneath it, I'm going to soften. I'm in love with a boy. Yeah. It's so Hermione coded. Ginny, lover. 1989. Ooh. I, I think really debated lover for Ginny. Lover. She's a massive romantic. Oh. There's a lot of pining. Yeah. I'll marry you with paper rings. Like, yeah, she's down bad. I think I was thinking later era Ginny, like book five, 
book six super fun Ginny 1989 welcome to New York like I'm just gonna have fun with my friends fuck what everyone thinks I'm the coolest girl yeah Neville 1989 debut interesting Mm -hmm. I see Neville as a basic bitch pop girly I think he wants those high energy super fun yep. dancey songs i see that like he loves dancing we know this he lo- does love dancing mine is purely based on i'm just a girl trying to find my place in this world tied together with a smile he notices things about people around him but no one notices him he's just trying to find his place he doesn't fit in anywhere mm. he's a debut girly yeah i also thought bad blood when Ooh. uh the he gets patricia Petrificus totalist. Totalist. <laughs> Luna. I cheated. I put two errors because folklore and evermore to me is so similar. I just put folklore, but it's it's Luna She's a totally. cottage called Girly. She thinks about things so deeply. Seven is Luna. Like, come on. Okay. So the remaining eras, you bundled them together, but evermore. I've given to the Marauders. Evermore is so Marauders coded to me. Yeah, I see that. Um, mostly champagne problems uh, deck the halls that we once walked through. Ugh, ugh. Uh, my remaining eras are red, which I gave to Lavender because she would definitely write red about Ron being a prick. As um, she should. Lover, I assigned to Bill and Fleur. Yeah. Um, and Midnight's, I assigned to Dumbledore. Nice. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that fits really well, actually. Mm-hmm. Gave Dumbledore debut. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> I think he absolutely would be like a fun country girly. He would. He would. He would also. Songs fit he him. would be like an OG Swifty as well. You know, he oh, was yeah. straight on that bandwagon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I can't imagine him being like, on the outside looking in. I can. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Fearless, I gave to Lavender. Lovely. Yep. And Weird s- how we use the same characters to fill in the gaps. Yeah. Yeah. And Speak Now, I gave to Molly. Oh, great. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Better than Revenge. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's fun. like romantic but also a misogynist thanks jasmine that was great that was great i really enjoyed that next howler is from jj hello goblet of wine and listeners alike um i'm jj hi uh you met the london meetup which i realize is quite a long time ago now oh um yes and i just wanted to ask in the half-blood prince there's Mm. In the bit where Harry and and where Harry and Dumbledore about to say Voldemort there, um, I've, you, you would have had to take a shot, and I don't think you legally can. The bit, bit where Harry and Dumbledore um, <laughs> go to the lake to get the Horcrux, and Dumbledore has to yep. cut his arm so yep. the blood can open the wall. And I just wondered how much blood did he need to spill because it said his blood splattered on the wall, and. That seems like quite a lot of blood. But could you just take like a bin brick and just kind of like spread it on the wall with it open then? 
or does actually have to weaken you because that is what Dumbledore said and I did mind that prim- pinprick bit by the way I, that's probably what you felt like before you had video podcasts anyway just wanted to hear your thoughts on that love the pod bye <laughs> JJ I've got to say you are an excellent speaker I would yeah. look into doing like um some sort of public speaking debating yeah. like you speak so well and yeah thank you for coming to our picnic as well yeah it was, it was so really lovely, lovely to meet, to meet you. you um I agree with Dumbledore that it's got to debilitate you because why else would Voldemort do it but that does raise the question of what level is a debilitating level? Is it based on the person? Because mm. uh, a small amount of blood to a child, such as yourself, JJ, is, <laughs> is, is um is more blood relatively than like a like Hagrid, you know? Yeah. So like, is it based on the person? So um, they actually kind of tackle this in Buffy, which I really? fucking love. Skip forward a bit if anyone's worried about uh, season seven Buffy spoilers. Am I worried about season seven Buffy spoilers? You'll never watch it. And also, it's not like that big a spoiler, but um, there's like the... Essentially, the portal to hell Mm. that a big evil demon is trying to open. So it kind of like possesses and tricks someone into sacrificing their friend um, to get enough blood to open the seal. Only the friend that they pick is really short. (laughs) So there's not enough blood. So they murder their friend and it doesn't work because he was so small he didn't have enough blood. This is what I mean. When Dumbledore's like, oh, my blood's much more important, it's actually because Dumbledore's really tall and Harry's a short king. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Harry wouldn't have had <laughs> enough, enough blood. blood. That little pinprick that Dumbledore gave was actually just all of Harry's blood. Uh-huh. Harry is severely anemic. All right, the next howler is from Katie. Hi, Hannah and Charlie. My name is Katie. I'm calling in from Edinburgh, where I live with my husband, who is from the north of Ireland. We both have a lot of feelings about the only specific Irish character in the series, Seamus (laughs) Finnegan, being the one who constantly blows shit up. I mean, in the final movie, he is literally tasked with blowing up a bridge. And all of this is taking place in the early to mid-90s which was the middle of the Irish Troubles. Like, can you imagine what Seamus was going through? Imagine going to the 1994 Quidditch World Cup final. Ireland wins. It's a huge lift for this country that's really going through it, only for that to be derailed by a group of violent, mostly British, domestic terrorists. Like, if I'm Mrs. Finnegan, I don't want my son living in a dorm the next year with a boy who is in, as far as she knows unsettled, violent English kid who showed up with a classmate's dead body a few months earlier. Mm. There's just a lot that that family is going through in this series. And to me, this is just one more example of J.K. Rowling's stereotyping, uh, really missing the mark in a lot of places. Obviously, I think this is less egregious than the Cho Chang of it all, but it still (laughs) sucks. And shout out to Seamus for still showing up, still fighting, and still being a good friend to the very end. Thanks for the podcast, you guys. Thank you, Katie. I had never considered the fact that Harry Potter is canonically 90s, therefore set. I honestly somehow had never considered that. I think we've talked a lot about how it's canonically 90s, but we've never actually connected that with real world 90s events that was going on. I mean, we've joked about Princess Diana being alive, but never the <laughs> actual yeah. social events. Not social, that's not the right word. 
<laughs> it was a real social, social occasion. Event, you know, those um, not the actual events that mm. were going on. I do think, and I'm not defending J.K. Rowling here because she had final sign off, but I do think it's the films that are egregious it, about Shane yeah. blowing up stuff because I don't believe any of that is in the books or it's one thing where he accidentally sets something on fire when he's trying to turn vinegar into wine. Yeah. And they took that and ran with it. So I actually think not to defend J.K. Rowling because she should have had final sign-off and a lot of other people were involved in the process, but that is a film thing. Yeah. But my God, are the optics on it fucking awful and the fact no one stepped in and said anything. Especially because, I mean, it's the same thing as the anti-Semitic goblins. It's like, Mm. it got pointed out and all they do is double down on this shit. Exactly. That's what gets me about it, is it's like... I could forgive it if it was done once and then someone pointed it out and they were like, oh, oh shit, shit, we did not think of that. I'm an idiot. But it, they, it was pointed out and then they did it again and then it was pointed out and then they did it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, the films really, really double down on it. Like, yeah, to the point with the bridge thing, which is a cute callback uncontextually if it's not yeah. an Irish character. Yeah the only Irish character that we have which by the way Hogwarts is meant to be serving the entirety of the British Isles so there should be a lot more Irish characters running around but yeah now I kind of want to read the books more considering like yeah politically and just in general what was going on in the 90s because it's a very good point new labour new labour well we have talked about that (laughs) yeah Okay, uh, the next howler is from Clara, who has written in. In the Spinner's End chapter, right at the beginning, before they reach Snape, the Black Sisters murder a black cat. No, they don't. They murder a fox. I'm wondering if that's a country translation difference, because foxes are British. Hmm immediately i'm very interested in this question which has been known for a symbol of a lot of superstition in witchcraft as well as examples of noble households or royalty do you think this ties to the next two books maybe an omen act of foreshadowing what you've done here clara has raised a much more interesting <laughs> translation question i'm gonna really laugh if this is this person trying to dianagate us back oh my god what if they're dianagating us back i'm gonna get up and get my book in about 30 seconds Harry Potter wiki lists it as a fox. It's definitely a fox in our text. I believe that perhaps this has been translated in other countries' texts because I'm now wondering what countries have foxes. But the thing is, why would that? Because they might not have foxes, but they surely know that foxes exist. They're found throughout most of North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia, as well as and parts even of if they're North not, Africa. It's set in the UK, and people know that foxes exist. Are foxes only in the UK? No, foxes are found in almost all cities across Europe and North America. Clara, are you trying to Diana Gate us back? We are refusing to answer this. Je refuse. (laughs) Until you give us proof. I want proof about the black cat thing. Yes, please. Send me your proof or I'm not replying. It's a great (laughs) theory. It's a great theory about superstition, but I'm not replying until I get proof. Thanks, Clara. (laughs) 
Okay, the next howler comes from Quipo? Cupio? Raquel. You can tell me if I said that wrong. Aloha, ladies. Um, so my name is Ku'u Ipo. And the plot hole that I've noticed in six, and I noticed it once I read seven, I remembered it, is the impenetrability, impenetrableness of the cloak. Um, So when they're on the train to Hogwarts, Draco's able to curse Harry while he's under the cloak up in the baggage area. Um, And then the second time is when Harry and Dumbly are up on the tower and he's under the cloak and Dumble is able to charm him or curse and try to charm him um, so that he can't move. So I just wanted to know your thoughts on what you think about the penetrationness of this cloak. Okay, love you, bye. Oh my God, I have never noticed that and now I feel like a fucking idiot. I just got distracted by the amount of times you said penetration. You did say penetration a lot in that voice. <laughs> That's my contribution. I'm done. I've made a dick joke. I'm out of here. That is a fantastic point. And yeah. I think raises some of the frustrations with book seven, which despite the fact that she had all this time to set it up, the wand law changes in book seven or she tries to wreck on it to be stronger than it was originally and you're right also the cloak the cloak is like oh but yours is the true cloak because it can do xyz but you're absolutely right that draco jinxes harry in it and so does dumbledore and i almost can understand dumbledore because maybe he's such a powerful wizard and it's not a spell of ill meaning it's like Mm. but Yes. Uh, I like to think that actually Harry's just such a dumbass that just his feet or like his elbow are just sticking out. Well, he, they are because Draco spotted him because of a flash of white trainer. And then there's just been the, his foot visible his whole foot. the entire time. His whole thing, how foot. does a cloak... What do you look up it if he's I've on top of something? I've always wondered this about the invisibility cloak. It is not an invisibility bubble. It's not like a morph suit, like, you know, the... It must be massive, though, to fit three 13-year-olds under it. Like, they keep saying, oh, it's really hard for all three of them to fit under it in book seven. That still makes it huge. But, yeah, so I like to think he's just actually really bad at wearing it and doesn't realise that just various limbs are poking out. (laughs) Um, And a lot of the time, like, Hermione and Ron just, like, humour him. Yeah. But that's how he's able to be cursed, because he's just not actually fully under it. But yeah, some of the objects in book seven are retconned to... Would you stop it? Has it got the flop on? It's got the flop on. Some of the objects in book seven are retconned to be... Like the one thing, it's good. It's really good if you'd set it up better. Yeah. It's suddenly so extreme with the disarming bullshit. Yeah, that's what frustrates me about it. It could have been so good. Yeah. If you'd done the work better. Because it is good. Mm Mm-hmm. The next howler is from Mark. Hello ladies, this question is coming to you live from the Magic Kingdom in Florida where I'm enjoying a lovely holiday with my sister after spending the last three months working at a special needs summer camp in Virginia. In fact, the following question is all about a similar topic. 
As someone who, back in the UK, works as a TA at the SEN unit of my local secondary school, it's very oh, noticeable okay. that Hogwarts has no sort of units established there. And as someone who is on the autistic spectrum, I'm not sure I would be able to cope at Hogwarts, especially during OWLs and NEWTs, without any sort of support. And so, after that long-winded introduction, this is my question. How would you establish a special education needs unit at Hogwarts, oh, and what would it include? Thank you. Well, Mark, you need to be a presenter. Yes. I'm voting for Mark as a TV presenter. You've got every vote that's coming your way. That was incredible. That was great. Um, oh, gosh. So, I mean, obviously, we're not experts on this. No. I mean, I'm dyslexic. My sister was also a TA for a SEN or... That is it, SEN, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. Um, department, but yeah, we're definitely not experts on this, but it's definitely an interesting question. Let me think. I mean, you know, the immediate first start is that uh, Hogwarts definitely should have therapists yep. working around the clock. The second point, just assess the needs of the students and stop making them, you know, all do the same thing, like read off the bloody blackboard. <laughs> yeah, maybe don't have moving staircases. <laughs> just a thought how the fuck do students in wheelchairs get around levitate quills what the fuck yeah no Pens no quills were invented for a reason cut the quills out and yeah also you have magic why are you using a blackboard you could do something where like why aren't you like writing on something and it appears in front of the pupils like you could do that right yeah you could have some sort of like magicking thing where it appears in front of them and then oh wow look at that Mm. making it easier to read yeah basically mark there's so much that could be done yeah at Hogwarts. i've never seen basically less set up to be everything. sen Get compliant offstead in there and shut it down shut that place down yeah next we have mave hi girls i'm mave and i had a question good audio you. I'm going into my GCSE year, except I'm in Ireland, so we call it the junior year. But it's basically the same thing. And Good luck. I was wondering if you had any advice for me. Oh. Um, mm. Anything about studying or reducing stress or the social aspect of the year would be really, really helpful. Um, thank you so much for making this podcast. It's so amazing. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Bye. Bye. I mean, we have to say it, even though you'll have heard it a million times before, your exam results literally don't matter and will never be brought up again. But that only helps so much. I think for me, something that I massively regret is that I didn't know that like study YouTube was a thing. And yeah. our school was not very good at like teaching us revision and learning techniques. And then since I've learned about all kinds of things like the, oh, uh, what the, is it the, the note-taking system, what's it called? Begin with C. Uh, uh, it's like a American university beginning with C. Colorado. Can't remember. There's begins with C, something like note-taking system, which is where you have like a line down the page mm. and things like that. Also, the most important thing when it comes to memorization is that you have to keep going back to things. Like the more time, if you like wait two weeks, go back to the information, mm -hmm. wait two weeks, go back to the information. I'd really recommend on YouTube. Oh, I'm now just forgetting what... One second, Hannah, you go. Yeah, in terms of study techniques, I would say there's so many more resources available now about different types of study techniques. Whereas when we were young, youthful, 
we just got told the way that our teachers wanted to do it. Like I got told I'd be put in detention if I didn't make flashcards because that's the way one teacher yeah. found revision worked. Flashcards work so well for some people, but not for others. If you've got a dickhead teacher like that, then sorry, I did. But hopefully your teachers will let you choose whichever way works best for you and it's really important finding that because everyone is different learners and also it might be different for different subjects for some subjects like English I had closed book exams so to try to remember quotes I would put them to the tune of songs because I can remember lyrics at the drop of a hat but I struggle to remember other things so I used to put the quotes I needed to learn for English to songs So there's so many different revision techniques and I'd say find the one that works for you. But I would also say in terms of the social aspect that as we, your GCSE results are, or the year you're going into is important in terms of, you know, you need a minimum to get into the next stage of education and things like that. I don't even think it's like that now though, because you you have to stay in education yeah but to study for some subject but yeah it's uh, but and it's also different in ireland to england but don't study so much it's a detriment to everything else i remember even at gcse level turning down like plans and worrying about birthday parties and things like that because i was like oh i'm meant to be revising and it's mad the pressure i put on myself looking back and like i'm glad on one hand i had that work ethic but on the other hand it's like come on it's not that deep it's not the end of the world i used to also important to have breaks you literally need to have breaks or your brain stops being able to take in the information yeah i was actually like if i don't revise for eight hours a day then i haven't done a good enough job and you put yourself under so much pressure and remember that those lighter moments of hanging out with your friends even oh and also group studying is not slacking off i revise best sometimes with a group of friends where we were testing each other throwing information back and forth and i think some people are like teenagers can't do that because they'll distract each other no do it have a revision sleepover you should be having fun whilst learning there's nothing wrong with that i remember stuff the best when i teach it to someone else yeah yeah it was ali abdal on youtube he's amazing he's a doctor turned youtuber and he's very up on like productivity techniques and like he went to oxford he's like all about how to like take in and remember information Mm. so he has a bunch of really really useful videos on the topic but yeah i mean i it just does not matter a huge amount let's be honest get the grades you need to go to the next step in life but don't stress about things like i got pretty bang average results and i'm doing good for myself like It also helps to remember if there's a subject you don't like and you're really stressing about out about it, as Charlie said, do the thing you need to do to get the pass grade. But if you know you're not going to take that subject further and you're never going to use it again, don't lose sleep over it because yeah. it's just, just do what you need to do I to get the pass grade. I think sometimes you had to prioritise as well. Like in A-levels uh, for the first year, I then had a subject I absolutely knew I was dropping. Oh, same. So when it came to whether I revised for that, or revise for the subjects I was keeping and got a better grade, I obviously revised for the ones that I was keeping because why would I try hard at something I'm dropping anyway when I could do better in the ones I'm actually going to follow through on? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, revise with your friends, make social fun of it. Like, you're, you're young and should be having fun. 
and learning things. The next howler is from Megan. Hi, Charlie and Hannah. It's your favorite Canadian, Meg. It is fun to say thanks as always for the podcast, not only for the welcome distraction and laughs, but also for the incredible community of friends it's connected me to through the Discord. You talked about how you love the chapters that are from a non-Harry perspective. Mm. If you could have additional chapters in Half-Blood Prince or any other book that are from the point of view of a character or situation that's not Mm -hmm. Harry, what would they be? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant question. Um, My first instinct is Draco. My first instinct was Princess Diana. Well, obviously because we just watched the film where they added in scenes from Jacob's perspective and I would love how powerful those written scenes could be of Jaco trying and failing with all the different attempts and the cabinet but Harry doesn't know all that information so the reader has access to that extra information I think that could be so so powerful I think Slughorn would be a great one as well yeah to like see from his point of view why he doesn't want to give over the information yeah I also think just in general, there'd be so much value in having chapters from the adults and chapters from the children and having that split. So you kind of get a more zoomed out look at the war because the brilliance of Harry Potter is how it's about war, but because it's set in a school, you only it only affects part of their lives. But imagine the flip side of that if you were having chapters from switching between Bill and Molly and Lupin and all these other people and seeing the the real adult yeah. effects of war. I think that's something that could have been so strong for the last film. Mm. Right? Like, because they split it into two in a way where it was like, okay, you've just stretched out the plot. Yeah, rather but than actually, adding value. You could have shown it from the different, all the different sides of the war. Mm. Especially because everyone kind of ended up like separated. Like, yeah. So... Like- if you're going to split it into two, add value with it. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. The next Amazing howler. question. Yeah, such a good question. The next howler is from Nyana. Hey, this is Nyana. Um, I'm such a, a good big fan. I met you guys at the Hyde Park meetup. Super nice to see you um, and hopefully see you again in real life sometime soon. Yes. Maybe what I have to say is a little bit premature because I think you'll probably talk <laughs> about it, but it's kind of a general book point about secret keepers. Um I think a big plot point of the series is that Sirius made Peter Pettigrew be the secret keeper because Voldemort would never expect it. Um, And I don't really get why, because I think on the website, Pottermore, which I know is a bit bullshit, but, you know, it's it's what we have. I think there's a point that you can't, like, force someone to give up their secret keeper secret so you can't like torture someone until they tell you they have to sort of voluntarily tell you and Sirius was never going to voluntarily tell Voldemort or of his own volition tell Voldemort or accidentally tell him you know he's way too good for that and he's way too close so I actually don't understand that at all and I also kind of don't understand why you wouldn't just always have Voldemort I mean always have Dumbledore sorry I did the thing (laughs) as your secret keeper like surely he's the one that like Voldemort is scared of and he's never going to approach him and be like hey give me the address to a house or you know I don't really get why you can't be your own secret keeper like why weren't why isn't James his own secret keeper for the house I just have no idea why it's um Peter Pettigrew to be honest and I think the secret keeper thing comes up a lot in the final book because um they all end up being like secret keepers for 
Grimald Place, which obviously yeah. makes it really weak. Um, and Bill is the secret keeper for his own house in Shell Cottage. And to be honest, I know this is not super relevant to book six, but I just want to get it out the way because <laughs> I really think it's kind of a very stupid plot point that Sirius made Peter take on that role. Yeah. Anyway, big fan of the pod and hopefully see you soon. Yay. Oh my um, God, Nyana, the fact that I'm pretty sure I could hear the Oxford church bells in the background <laughs> of that, I was literally like, oh my God, what is happening? I love this. <laughs> Yeah, this is such a good point. It really doesn't make sense and it's so flimsily explained away. And I think that something that would have been a great addition and maybe kind of there's the first reason given off, oh, you know, he didn't trust himself because of his upbringing and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that's bullshit. I would have liked Harry to find out later on, probably like after his death or something, that the reason Sirius changed it was because he was gonna essentially go on a suicide mission to try and kill Voldemort to Mm. protect Lily and James and he knew if he died that more people would become the secret keeper right um I think that would have been a great twist if it's like that night he was planning on Mm. going after Voldemort I think it really suits Sirius with his like impulsiveness and recklessness um and I think that it's definitely something that he would do for James to be like oh god like this is not a long term solution that's not good for him for Lily for the baby like this is what I'm gonna do I'm gonna take this into my own hands and go after him but I know that I can't be the secret keeper when I die that's a really good point about death I hadn't considered that and I think it would be like very brutal for harry to learn that after sirius had died i like that a lot yeah because i agree it's stupid and it's a plot hole i think the main issue where it comes up is jk rowling again shooting herself in the foot in book seven like i really like book seven but my god does she i'm gonna use the word lampoon again lampoon herself multiple times Mm -hmm. In making Bill the secret keeper was a really stupid thing to write in because it adds so many plot holes. Like, why would you do that? Why not add a plot point about who's Bill going to choose? He's got so many brothers. Who's he going to... Yeah. Is it a bit of a thing about who he trusts the most versus who's the most likely to live? Who's the less likely to be targeted? That would Mm -hmm. be quite cool. But no, to make Bill his own secret keeper is stupid. And also, yeah, why not make... Dumbledore the secret keeper of everything I suppose that makes him a very high risk target because we do know when someone dies as a secret keeper everyone who knows it becomes secret keeper so I guess you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket in one old man in one old man but yeah essentially she ruined it for herself by making she did this so many times in book seven it's a real shame but Mm. by making Bill his own secret keeper but also yes if the information cannot be tortured out of you then it makes no sense for this last minute switch. Like, yeah. I guess the point they were trying to make is, yes, the information can't be targeted out, can't be brought out of you, but everyone would just assume Sirius is the secret keeper so he would be targeted in other ways. But that then makes him seem like a coward to make it switch to Peter. It kind of just mm. adds a layer of protection to himself. Yeah, I prefer my theory. I like your theory a lot because in my head, Sirius would never do that. He'd be like, great, I'm put up more risk, do it. I want yeah. to be put up more risk. I love James and Lily. The next howler is from Ravneet. Hello, Hannah. Hello, Charlie. Um, I hope you're having a really good day. Uh, Sorry, my chair's a bit squeaky. Um, (laughs) 
so I wanted to talk about um, Merope. I know you guys really don't like that pronunciation. I it's just it's how I've always done it. I'm really sorry. Um, it's okay. And the reason for that is because it actually comes from the um, Greek mythological character Merope. She is the youngest of the seven daughters of the Titan Atlas. Um, Atlas is the guy who like holds the sky on his shoulders, and oh. she is one of the Pleiades, which is a constellation. Um, of seven stars but basically you can't always see the seventh the whole time and um she Merope married a mortal man and she is ashamed of herself for marrying this mortal man which is why she's the faintest star you can't always see her um the connection obviously to the books to bring it back to half-blood prince is that we learn she's shamed Merope in the books is shamed by her father and brother um, for falling in love with the muggle and it's kind of a similar thing of Merope is a supposedly considered a higher being and she falls in love with this just normal guy um I think Marvolo calls Tom Riddle filthy or something and they kind of keep her hidden away from the world because they're ashamed of her which I think is very similar to the idea of Merope in the Pleiades being the star you can't always see yes yeah, so i don't know i just thought that was interesting and um i hope you think so too okay thank you have a good day bye you too uh this is my second reminder of the week that i need to learn more about greek mythology this is the exact reason we do this episode yeah for me. fucking I love- hell that was oh my yeah. god I love British mythology and it's something that I spend a lot of time like reading and listening to podcasts and no, like I, I say not nearly enough time on Greek but like no time like not since like primary school when yeah. we learned about it and it's so fucking fascinating and interesting and the first reminder this week was you telling me about I book. just finished Circe by Madeline Miller I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Circe this is what I'm pronouncing that wrong as well <laughs> and I adore it by the way one of you messaged me saying read song of achilles i was like i know i know <laughs> um but i adored cersei but my main not criticism but my main point in finishing it was i would have enjoyed it a lot more if i had remembered and known more about greek mythology because i haven't read anything since like primary this was school. when i uh read his dark materials obviously i loved it but i was like i feel like it would have added a lot if i understood more about, about christianity the, yeah christianity in the bible yeah oh my gosh because like i had obviously i think i mentioned it on the podcast i hope i did but obviously like marvolo is drawn from marvolio in shakespeare and that mar like um, it's like the root of evil and things like that and there's that connection but I did not know that I'm now going to say Merope because we were wrong is the son of Atlas and marries a mortal that's that's good that's so fair good. play JK fair play fair play JK she does do names well <laughs> yeah Jesus Christ that's good I really need to get into yeah all all historical reference all greek all roman all yep. english mythology she Fucking pulls love from mythology. everything and it's good yeah wow that 
thank you so much for letting us know that that's absolutely fantastic i was about to say fabulous and then i switched to fantastic so it came out as fabtastic i like it change approved fabtastic it makes me sound like one of those posh knobheads though like fabtastic mm-hmm. this next howler is from rob who says hi Charlie i love that this is written and formatted like a letter it's an email i just copied and pasted it <laughs> but you're right Hi, Charlie and Hannah. Hope you're both keeping well. Just wanted to send an email saying I love listening to the podcast. Can't get enough. You two have such great chemistry and are a joy to listen to. I've been listening a lot recently during night feeds with my son and both have been keeping me sane. You both have been keeping me sane. Would love to come to another one of your picnics. Gutted I couldn't make the last one. Question. You may have already answered this one. Which character do you loathe? And not in a love to hate them sort of way. A character you can't put up with when you see their name on the page. All the best and keep up the great work, Rob Stevenson. I've got to say, I I really love the amount of messages we get from uh, any parents who say that they listen to us with night feeds and breastfeeding and things like that. It it really makes me happy because I, I didn't realise... It's something that I've only no- realised later on in this podcast because we started it five years ago and I didn't really know anyone with kids and now I know a lot more people with kids how endless and exhausting and how many hours are just being up alone feeding your young child and as I've said I'm worried about what we're subliminally putting into your child's heads hopefully they have headphones but also yes but also I am really glad that we're there for that because i've now learned how much yeah. that can be and that makes me so happy so thank you and loathe in a not hate to loathe way because i would say obviously umbridge is the best mm. written villain ever oh, excellent but it doesn't mean that i can't put up with them with their name on the page because i respect her as a villain mm. do you know what i mean so yeah. like, which one do i loathe more in a personal written sense it's so hard because obviously like yes but then i love it as a character that's the thing i also i love greyback as a character but i think i get such disgust from greyback yeah that i do dread every time his name is on the page because i'm like oh god Mm. hermione's date mcclagan oh good one yeah mcclagan definitely god he's definitely we all know mcclagan we all know mcclagan i was thinking pansy as well oh yeah 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 that's good thank you rob that's great next one is from savian savian hello there hannah and charlie it's me savian i am american and i love your podcast and this is my half-blood prince howler and this has more to do with the movie than the book like half-blood prince is my favorite book but they massacred it in the movie and I'm sure you probably agree. But what are your thoughts on the movie? Like, the main villain of the series literally has four minutes of screen time in the movie. <laughs> Lavender Brown, who is not important at all, has more screen time than the main villain of the series in this movie. Oh Why? Who made this movie? It's bad. It's, it's just very, very bad. <laughs> also this is just a little thought that i had moaning myrtle is in this book like you literally i feel like she has one line and it's like murder murder in the bathroom murder and then snape comes in and he's like what just happened here <laughs> mr potter did you do this give me your book 
go retrieve it. And also, the savagery from Harry in this book, like, there's no need to call so me good. sir, professor. Oh, mic drop. And then also, <laughs> like, the uh, it's a nickname. And then Snape has a comeback, like, I know what a nickname is. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was funny. Anyway, that's yeah. my howler for today. Goodbye. So, Savian, Savian. Thank you for being the only one to commit to the bit as a howler. Um, yes. <laughs> um, if our film episode didn't record, let's just upload that. Yeah. Just that. Because we didn't even mention that in our film review. Yeah. That's come out before this, but you guys won't have heard it by the time we you sent in the howlers. We didn't even mention that yet. Adult Voldemort... No, Adult Voldemort isn't in it. Child Voldemort has yeah. yeah like six minutes of screen time. You're absolutely right because it's. But what we did mention is it's a rom com. Unfortunately, yeah, it's a tonally bizarre rom com. Yeah, uh, um, great impressions. I love your energy. Impeccable. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you will hear all our thoughts. Hopefully. <laughs> oh God. On film six in the last episode, which is that it's tonally fucking bizarre. Yes. The next howler is from Tom. Loving the podcast. One thing that stuck out to me in Slughorn's memories was Slughorn saying that Tom Riddle could become Minister for Magic. Why didn't he do that then? This was... You said this, I believe. He already had Death Eaters or followers, so he could have caused a crisis as Lord Voldemort and as Tom Riddle become Minister Mm. for Magic and manipulate the systems to be more pureblood orientated. Also, if he wanted people to turn against Muggleborns... Why not create an incident where Muggleborns, I enjoy that something has corrected all these borns to burns, <laughs> Muggleborns, are the aggressors and can turn Wizarding World opinion against them. Looking forward to hearing your views, Tom. Tom, I'm scared of you. Yeah, Tom, Jesus Christ, what you've the got fuck? villain energy. Jesus. Are you a politician? Do you Jesus. work for the Tory party? <laughs> yes, these are all very smart ideas, but fuck this, me. I mean, we discussed it. It would have taken him less time to just become Minister for Magic than it did doing it his way. He would have lived longer. Yep. Like, it makes no sense. Like, the thing is, you know, the Tory government turns people against the working class, against immigrants, yada, 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 because their mates control the media and it's like a secular thing of, we'll give you tax breaks, etc. if you post this in the media to turn people against these minorities to keep us in power and keep the the heat off us and blame them for the issues that we're causing and it just becomes this circular everyone is licking their own asses each other's asses in this big like secular human centipede situation not sure where this point was going no i'm scared <laughs> um but yeah so why couldn't Voldemort have done that just you know the at the end of the day the um they're like one massive newspaper is government owned yeah like he would have had com- like essentially a complete monopoly on the wizarding media he literally could have indoctrinated them against muggleborns yeah, so easily of doing a instant where muggleborns the aggressors is genius i think yeah i'm really is- scared of this person this is where i think it's not that the books fall down slightly. This is where I think our own podcast falls down slightly in that we are analysing this from 
an adult perspective who have read adult novels and all these ideas are amazing but at the end of the day Voldemort is a simplistic big bad yeah and like yes there are more complex elements of the book but at the end of the day it is YA yeah so that doesn't mean that you can't have these complex elements you 100% can but I think some of these ideas I I absolutely fucking want to read them but in an adult book that has full-on adult themes absolutely um and that's where analyzing this as an adult falls down slightly because we expect too much from it yeah um but oh my god I want to read this yes definitely it's absolutely amazing and the last howler comes from Vera Hi, my name is Vera, and I'm so sorry for my voice. I'm currently sick. Uh, Yeah, well, my question doesn't really have anything to do with the books uh, you guys just read, but I was wondering if you guys had seen anything about the Marauders movie going on on social media right now. It's called The Rise of the Order, and as I said, I was wondering if you guys had seen anything about it. Anyway, much love from Sweden. Bye. Um, I haven't. I haven't. No. I'm look at the rise of the order. Oh yes, they're ca- I I do remember seeing something about people casting for it. It's it's fan made. I remember seeing something about casting for it. That's all I've seen. But in general, I'm so for fan made pieces of art about the series. I know that they're incredibly hard to get through because of copyright issues. But fan-made art is where it's at at the moment. Like, yeah, like I fully believe that you can still find ways to enjoy Harry Potter if you want to, whilst not supporting J.K. Rowling. And there is so much incredible fan-made work out there. Like, fan fiction has taken on... It was already good, but it's taken on a whole new level in the last few years. And I actually read an interesting article recently, which I'll link in the description. I sent it to you, about how there has been a rise in certain... Like, basically, things like, you know, there was Wolfstar, which was already popular back in the day, but now Jegulus, right? In 2018, there were only 40 pieces of Jegulus fanfiction published. Last year, just between, like, a couple of months span, there was something like 14,000 pieces of Jegulus fanfiction published. And someone was theorising that these much more niche ships are being published because it's so far removed from jk rowling's work while still being part of the harry potter world that by her coming out in her turfy behavior she's pushing fans to be more creative in what they're creating about and i absolutely love that i think it's amazing and i think that's not something we can compare to anything else that has happened before so yeah i absolutely love the creativity of what fans are creating and this looks so cool and also the marauders is like if if jk rowling weren't to exist and I could give a production studio money to make one more Harry Potter mm. thing, it would be a Marauders era thing. Like I'm, ju- I'm amazed they've never done it. It's, I'm amazed they've never it's done bizarre. it. It's bizarre. The it's fact like they did Fantastic cow. Beasts that no one wanted yeah. when everyone has been begging. begging. The fact they're now redoing the main series when Marauders is right there. Yeah, everyone it's, wants Marauders. It's crazy. It's so, mad to me. But yeah, I definitely agree. I love fan-made things and I think it's such a great way. And, you know, not only fan-made fiction, but like, things like us the podcast other podcasts is such a great way for when you can't quite stomach or don't want to support jk rowling anymore a way to still enjoy this thing so i think it's wonderful yeah so we're going to keep an eye on that see what comes of it and yeah like 
really excited to see where that goes. That's all the howlers. Woo! This was so great. I love doing these. I love hearing yeah. everyone's opinions. I kind voices. of wish we could do these more often, but yeah. it's difficult. It but is. yeah it's really really lovely and i love hearing real people's voices i know and it's like you're all so smart it scares and eloquent me. you're all so smart and eloquent and we're just here like great thank you so much and that is the end of season Woo! six one more book left one baby book left, we're baby. almost there Whoa, we're almost there, there. oh Thank you. I think we should drop the Goblet of Wine album when I we think finish. It's book what seven. everyone's been wanting. Like the, we the, the relentless messages. We get, relentless. It's every single You're, day. You have the voice of angels. Please drop. You were so talented. I it will go straight to number one. Now. Simon Cow's in our DMs. Yeah, Simon. Oh God, endless. Yeah. So that's what's coming next for the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you so much for listening to season six. Ah, the last book i'm so excited to do you know the last what we book. have to decide for the last book where the fuck are we gonna slot slot in film seven true that true that boy <laughs> boy give us suggestions when and where we should watch film seven do you want it at the end of the series or, or do you where want it, it cuts midway off way through where it cuts off Please. that can be the poll that's your poll yeah. Please actually help us because I don't know what's best to do. Yes. And we will see you at, well, we won't see you. You'll see us unless our camera keeps overheating, in which case you will hear us. Maybe we should just surround the camera with a bag of ice. Have we considered this? Was that smart? I fear it would leak. No, no, no. It's perfectly it's okay. safe. Hopefully for season seven, we'll have a studio. Woop, woop. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye, lads. Bye. Bye. I don't know why I'm waving the cameras off. (laughs) Smart. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram. We also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do. This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons. Yolanda, Sir Bandersnatch, Samuel, Michael, Kylie... Jasmine, Florian, and Ardent. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Goblet of Wine Patreon, where you can also gain access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and our Discord. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.